all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. And now, your host for today's program, Dale Throneberry. Hey, and welcome to Veterans Radio. My name is Dale Throneberry, Chief Warrant Officer, United States Army Aviator, 1968-69. I want to welcome you to our program today. We've got a couple of rotor heads on today, so we're really excited to talk about helicopters and history and some of the other things that went on in our lives uh, when we were in Vietnam and when we were stateside. Um, so our guests are going to include uh, Ed Ludenberger, who is a communications director for the National Vietnam War Museum out in Weatherford, Texas. For those of you that went to flight school out in Fort Walters, it's evidently it's only a mile away. So Ed's going to be on in just a minute to talk about that. And then a little bit later on in the program, we've got another uh, helicopter pilot. That's uh, Captain Tom Stempke, and he was a uh, Charlie model gunship pilot. And I think he probably ended up, I'll find out later on. And he was with the uh, 186 uh, Assault Helicopter Company. And uh, we're going to be talking, as I said, helicopters, some of our experiences there. And I think it's going to be kind of fun today. This is going to be a, a, a <laughs> treatment <laughs> for all of us. Sometimes when we tell these stories, you know, here on Veterans Radio, we are big proponents of talking our stories out. And that usually helps us uh, in the long run. Because we real, we realized that some of the things that we did were really amazing and that, you know, we should, we have every right to be proud of what we were able to accomplish. And so I'm excited to do that. I want to make sure that I'll, I'll let you know that we uh, thank our sponsors today. That would include Legal Help for Veterans and Legal Help for Veterans, of course, is a, a disability specialist law firm that specializes in helping veterans with their disability claims. For more information, you can go to their website. That's LegalHelpForVeterans.com. And uh, the other one is the uh, Charles S. Kettles VA Medical Center here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And for more information about them, you can go to VA.gov slash Ann Arbor. Uh, we really do appreciate all of the sponsors that are helping Veterans Radio stay on the air. And I'm going to be talking about a couple of other ones later on in the program. But if you'd like to uh, sponsor Veterans Radio, all you got to do is go to our website. That's veteransradio.net and click on the little button that says sponsors. And uh, since we've uh, changed ourselves, I guess you could say, from a, <laughs> a nonprofit for-profit corporation, uh, we've, we have now, uh, turned ourselves into an official nonprofit 501c3 and your donations, uh, would normally be tax deductible. You have to check with your financial advisor on that for sure. But you could also do that by just going again to our website and you can click on the donate button. And I also want to remind people that are listening to Veterans Radio for the first time that we have been on the air for 19 years now. I know. Hard to believe, right? And it's, uh, it's been quite the, uh, the adventure. And we have had the privilege of talking to veterans from World War II, actually World War I. We had to talk to a World War I veteran a long time ago, um, all the way up through the uh, current conflicts that America's military are involved in around the world. And it has been an honor to be able to tell those stories. So we're going to go right into our first, um, guest and, uh, Oh, I just remember, if you have a question for today's program, you can give us a call at 734-822-1600, 734-822-1600. 
734-822-1600. All right. So when I went to flight school back in 1968, the, uh, was out in Fort Walters, Texas. And Fort Walters, Texas, I, I'm guessing is probably somewhere around 50 miles west of Fort Walter or, or from Fort Worth and Dallas. And there was a little town called Weatherford in between on the way. And so when we would go into the big city on weekends, when they would let us, we would come back through Weatherford and uh, my friend Ray and I would go to the movies every Sunday afternoon that we got the weekend off. We would go to the movies at a little Weatherford theater and it looked exactly like the theater in uh, the last picture show for those of you that are into movies and so forth. And it was quite the adventure. But now there is a museum there and it is the National Vietnam War Museum. And joining me on the uh, line right now is uh, Edward uh, Ludenberger, and he is a communications director. He is uh, was a captain in the United States Army, and he was a Chinook pilot. So I said, we've got rotor heads everywhere today. So, Ed, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thank you, Dale. And uh, just because it, it has happened for all my life, it's actually Lutenberger. Lutenberger, okay. It looks like I need an umlaut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So Ed Lutenberger, former captain, communication director, COO of the uh, National Vietnam War Museum. Uh, tell me how this whole thing got started, Ed. Back in 1994, uh, a group of former helicopter pilots formed the first uh, local chapter of the Vietnam Helicopter Pilots Association uh, in Mineral Wells, Texas. And at that meeting, we decided that we wanted to do something uh, to create a legacy. And out of that came the idea for the National Vietnam War Museum. Uh, originally, we had planned on just building a small helicopter museum there in Mineral Wells. And we sat down with some consultants and they told us we were thinking too small. They said, what you really need to do is, is think on a larger scale. And we came up with the idea for the National Vietnam War Museum to uh, cover not only the Vietnam War, but the Vietnam era, uh, because there was so much going on, not only in Vietnam, but here in the home front and worldwide. And we worked on this concept for uh, a number of years. Uh, in 1999, we were able to purchase a 12-acre piece of property uh, just east of Fort Walters, and uh, through private donations, and, and everything that the museum has done has been through private donations, uh, we were able to pay off that piece of property. And it kind of sat idle because we didn't have a lot of cash. Uh, and in 2007, our landlord had, had told us that we really needed to do something with, to develop the property or he wanted it back. So uh, we designed and opened our first garden called the Meditation Garden. And the Meditation Garden is, is filled with uh, native plants. It's got a uh, labyrinth walk through there. Uh, and uh, one of the first things we did was start selling bricks, memorial bricks, uh, which line the walk in that garden. Following year, we acquired a Huey that uh, had a Vietnam pedigree, 
and we mounted it on a 20-foot pole, and we opened our second garden. Uh, and in that garden, in addition to the Huey, we have a uh, replica of the Camp Holloway Wall that was built by members of the, uh, I believe it was the uh, 52nd Aviation Battalion, to replace the one that they could not bring back with them from Vietnam. And there's a set of rotor blades in there that uh, those of you who went through Fort Walters will also remember uh, that were at the Holiday Inn in downtown Mineral Wells. They were they were donated to us by the, uh, the people that own the current hotel, and they are in that garden. The following year, and, and we were doing something every year at this point, the following year, we uh, opened our... Uh, replica of the wall in Washington, D.C. It's a half-scale replica, and it, to our best, not, to the best of our knowledge, it's the only one that is up-to-date with the one in D.C., because for 15 years, uh, we kept adding names when they added names. Year after that, we opened what our visitor's center, and our visitor's center is also an artifact, it was, it's a double wide trailer that served as the uh, headquarters for the staff at the Crawford Ranch when President Bush was in residence. Following that, we decided that it was time to build a permanent building. And we started, uh, we broke ground on that in 2017. We completed it. During the pandemic, it's a 20,000 square foot two-story building, and we had our grand opening building in June uh, of this year. And the grand opening was attended by about 700 people, including a large contingent of former Vietnamese military, uh, South Vietnamese military, and the gentlemen were all in uniform. The ladies were in uh, native Audi costumes. Uh, and in addition to them, uh, we had a large contingent of former Vietnam veterans who all attended. Since that opening, uh, we've been averaging the, about 51 people a day coming through. Uh, I think uh, the, the September count was 1,173 visitors. Uh, we've had groups as high as 100. We've had uh, school groups come through. Um, we just had a board meeting, a board of directors meeting yesterday. And uh, one of the things that was reported was that we had a group that actually camped out there on the uh, facility. So it's, it's been 25 years of blood, sweat, tears, and uh, something has finally come to fruition. And now we're planning to start on phase two, uh, which will be another 20,000 square feet. A uh, second building attached to the first. Uh, in the current building, we have uh, what we call three galleries. Uh, we've got an introductory gallery, which takes you from uh, the uh, French occupation of Vietnam uh, through parts of the war. Uh, we have a replica of the Oval Office uh, set up uh, right now uh, in the LBJ era. And then we have the Fort Walters, Camp Walters Gallery, which includes an OH-23D painted up like a school bird. Uh, 
And uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Camp Walters, it uh, was the largest infantry replacement training center during World War II. And uh, one of the uh, more famous trainees that passed through that was a young man from Texas by the name of Audie Murphy. That's, yeah, I, I, when uh, we talked about one of the books that was written about Audie Murphy and they were talking about Camp Walters and his going through there, and my reason for contacting you, Ed, about the uh, National Vietnam War Museum was that my son was recently out there, and he went through the museum, and he, he sent me a picture of the OH-23, which is what I went through. You know, my basic flight training was in that thing. And um, he said, did you really fly that? And I said, yeah, I did. And he goes, it doesn't look very safe. And I said, <laughs> I said it wasn't, (laughs) but I was just thinking, I know our audience, I want you to picture, I really do want you to go to their website. It's a great website. They've got some great photos there of uh, not only their displays, but their, you know, what their plans are for the future and so forth. And you can really support uh, this great organization. But when he was talking about the uh, rotor blades that used to be in front of the hotel in downtown (laughs) miserable wells um is that it was by the swimming pool and when you the day that you soloed you would the bus that would bring you back to fort walters would stop off at the pool and all the pilots that soloed on that particular day got thrown in the pool and it was a great day for so many people because (laughs) we were so sure that we were never going to solo uh, to begin with, and of course, the instructor pilots and the talk officers did everything they could to convince us that we were idiots. Um, mostly successfully, it seemed like. But uh, so I, I did want to just mention that because I have a picture just above me here of me standing between the the rotor blades with the two other guys that soloed the day, and of course, we're soaked, and you know, we looked like drowned rats. But it was such a such a big deal. I mean, it really was a big deal. So you've got a Huey on a pedestal, and you've got an OH-23. Have you got any plans for trying to get, grab onto other aircraft? Well, actually, we have some other aircraft. You mentioned the OH-23. We have two of them. Uh, the second one is flyable, and we've actually given rides in that one. Uh, <laughs> Not me. <laughs> and for Phase 2, we have another uh Huey, uh, UH-1H, that will be in the uh, in the museum on the floor, so that people can get up close and personal with it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the OH-23 again. That that was also the aircraft that I flew, and the reason that I I did, I think, was because I had a friend who had gone through uh, the prior year, and told me that when you get to Fort Walter, stretch up as tall as you can. So that they'll put you in an OH-23 instead of killer uh, TH-55. Yeah, the Mattel Messerschmitt. Yes. <laughs> Which was a really little helicopter that tall people can't really fit into. Sort of like the OH-6 um, loaches that, you know, you had to be under a certain height to get in into the loach, you know, and operate the controls. But 
So if I wanted more information about your museum, Edward, where would I go? The best place to go is to our website, which is www.nationaldnwarmuseum.org. Okay. So I encourage people to do that. And I encourage you when you're driving across the country, because everybody, it seems like, once is finally ready to get out and, you know, hit the road again. So, you know, head out there toward Dallas-Fort Worth and just keep going west out to a beautiful place I remember they called Possum Kingdom Lake, <laughs> which I couldn't, <laughs> which I, I, <laughs> being from New Jersey, when I told people that the, the recreational site nearby was called Possum Kingdom Lake, they were having a pretty good time good time with that one. Uh, but I'm, I'm assuming that it's a really nice state park. I don't think I ever got there, but... Uh, Anyway, go to if, the go. Go ahead. If if you did your uh, pinnacle and uh, slope training, you were on the banks of it. Okay, all right. I was wondering how they got pinnacles out there in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and it was uh, interesting. But it was it was an it was a it turned out to be a really great adventure. Um, you know, the first part of the adventure of, of becoming a pilot and and. Wow, the instructors were just amazing, and you know. Anyway, it was it was fun. You know, I'm I'm sitting here flashing back to all these things and imagining the TAC officers. You guys didn't have to worry about TAC officers at that point. You had already gone through that, but you know where you'd you'd spend, you know, eight hours polishing a cement floor, and the guy would come through with his cleats on the on his heels, and he would turn around and you go, look, there's a hole in their floor here. You got do that again. <laughs> Just, that's the way that it was. And I want to thank you so very much. Let us know if there's anything we can do to help promote the museum. And, uh, you know, when you have um, more displays or exhibits, let us know. I'd love to have you back on and, you know, to talk about the museum, but also talk about your experiences as a Chinook pilot, which is, Really, uh, just a scary thing to me. Any any time, Dale. Any time, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, just for folks who don't know, the Chinook was probably the best money that the United States Army ever spent. Because it's been in the inventory since 1962, and they don't have a replacement for it yet. No, they keep going to those big, you know, airplanes with the wings that tilt and stuff, and that's that's no good. Oh, anyway, thank you very much, Ed Lutenberger from the <laughs> from the National Vietnam War Museum. Thanks very much, Ed. Thank, thank you. you. All right, we're going to be taking a break here, and uh, after we play our little Medal of Honor and thing, we're going to come back with our next guest, which is a gunship pilot from uh, Vietnam, and his name is Tom Stempke, and we're going to be talking with Tom about his experiences. And probably telling a few war stories here and there as we go along. So stick around. You're listening to Veterans Radio, and we will be back after this short message. The Medal of Honor is the highest award for valor in combat given a member of the Armed Forces of the United States. There have been over 3,400 recipients of the nation's highest award. This is one of them. Army Captain Ed Freeman flew 14 rescue missions under intense enemy fire, saving 30 seriously wounded soldiers. Details after this. 
If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. As a flight leader, Freeman supported a heavily engaged American infantry battalion in the Itrang Valley in the Republic of Vietnam. The unit was almost out of ammunition after taking some of the heaviest casualties of the war, fighting off a relentless attack from a highly motivated, heavily armed enemy force. When the infantry commander closed the helicopter landing zone due to intense direct enemy fire, Freeman risked his own life by flying his unarmed helicopter through a gauntlet of enemy fire time after time, delivering critically needed ammunition, water, and medical supplies to the besieged battalion. His flights had a direct impact on the battle's outcome by providing the engaged units with timely supplies of ammunition critical to their survival. After medical evacuation helicopters refused to fly into the area due to intense enemy fire, Captain Freeman flew 14 separate rescue missions, providing life-saving evacuation of an estimated 30 seriously wounded soldiers, some of whom would not have survived had he not acted. All flights were made into a small emergency landing zone within 100 to 200 yards of the defensive perimeter where heavily committed units were perilously holding off the attacking elements. The Medal of Honor series is a production of Veterans Radio. Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative, maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. We can all help someone going through a difficult time. Learn how you can be there for veterans. Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. VeteransCrisisLine.net. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Hey, we're back here on Veterans Radio, and we're moving into our second segment. This portion of the program is going to be brought to you by the NVBDC. This is the National Veterans Business Development Council. And this is something that you need to think about. If you're a veteran and you own a business and you want to do gov- uh, business with the federal government or many uh, corporations, you need to become certified, which shows that you are actually a veteran-owned business. And these are the people that can help you do that. So the National Veterans Business Development Council, you can go to their website. That's nvbdc.org. That's nvbdc.org. Or give them a call at 888-CERTIFIED. Make sure that you do that because uh, this is the place to go. And they have all kinds of programs to help veterans uh, who are either thinking about owning a business or already own a business. And they can uh, they have seminars, classes, everything else to help these uh, veterans get their businesses going and be successful. So we encourage you to go to nvbdc.org. All right. Joining me in uh, on Zoom right now is uh, my guest, Tom. Uh, Stemke and Tom, I met at our fundraiser a couple of weeks ago for uh, Veterans Radio, the radio on the river, and he was one of our speakers. And so I want to bring him onto the program. So Tom Stemke, welcome to Veterans Radio. Dale, I'm honored that you asked me to be on today. Thank you for your service. I'm uh, <clears throat> so uh, grateful for all the things you do for veterans as I find out more and more as I uh, realize just uh, how many veterans are out there and how many veterans are listening. So 
thank you for that. And by the way, before you ask me the next question, I wanted to tell you that I served with the 189th uh, out of Camp Holloway. I think you said 186. I want to uh, correct that uh, uh, without resorting to violence. All right. Well, that's a good thing that you're on the other the other end of the screen here. I realize that, considering that you guys are the ghostwriters. And um, I was a gunship pilot and head of the gunship platoon who were known as the Avengers. I'm sort of not real proud of the name, but uh, anyway, that's the way it was. And it was a great unit for sure. I think there were many, many great units over there. And I yeah. like to, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll probably talk about a few of those types of things as we go along. So Tom, I, I wanted you to come on and talk to our audience uh, because you know, not only are you, you know, were you a successful pilot and you were, you know, decorated with this distinguished flying crosses and um, air medals with V devices and, you know, many other things. I think it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, what, what we were able to accomplish sometimes over there. How did you get involved in, in the military in the first place? <laughs> okay, so we're going there. Well, yeah, we are. We're going to go uh, we're do this chronologically. I uh, come from uh, a family, with the exception of my father, who was disappointed he couldn't serve. Uh, he had an eyesight thing. and uh, But his four brothers, he was uh, one of ten, his four brothers served... Uh, and one was decorated in the Battle of the Bulge. Um, he really prompted me to uh, join the service. Of course, uh, he had uh, full-time PTSD and was greatly affected by that terrible, terrible war. But the point is, these men and my whole environment being raised in a northern Michigan small community was we loved the flag. We saluted. We honored uh the elders we we listened we were not perfect but we were that kind of generation and so uh when i got drafted uh at a young age at 19 27 of us got drafted from a small city in uh, which was sheboygan uh 5000 that's a lot of boys leaving at one time Fortunately, everybody but one uh, has made it back. But through that uh, sort of process of wanting to serve but not knowing what we had to do, I was kind of gung-ho. And uh, I won a distinction uh, at my basic training class at Fort Knox, Kentucky, the American Spirit Award that was one given to the brigade, and it meant a full ride to uh, West Point. The story I've is never, that, I've never even heard of that award. Yeah, before. it's cool. It's, uh, it crazy. goes on. It goes on to, in the present. Uh, it's uh, pretty amazing. Uh, there's a lot of programs that we don't know about that. But anyway, one out of the brigade wins. And um, but I uh, was in love with uh, my present wife, and uh, you couldn't be married if you went to the point and. Uh, I was still pretty gung-ho to go to the point, but more gung-ho to get married. So I chose to get married, went to OCS, and out of that, uh, Dale, I really started to involve myself, taking the advice of my uncle, go to all schools you can, uh, airborne, ranger, pathfinder, special forces, jump master, and then finally 
aviation school. So I, I was really blessed uh, because I had that opportunity. Uh, and But when I was in Vietnam, I was only 20 years old, and that's pretty doggone amazing, really, to me. It is, especially as a you know a twenty year old. Well, when you got there, we what were a first lieutenant. I was a first lieutenant. Was promoted to captain, like Ed, the, your previous guest, and uh, uh, that I mean, uh, I can't even imagine the responsibility we had as young officers, especially pilots. I mean, uh, not only did you have to fly the aircraft and try to survive, you were. You were in another, anyway, it was a pretty interesting environment. And I'm just so glad to be able to think back now and have a somewhat uh, a good mind frame, which comes out of hanging out with other veterans. I think this is so important. Uh, thanks be to God, we have a local chapter. A lot of guys, your friends, our mutual friends who really, uh, our veterans to the core and support other better, veterans and seek out guys like me who really had to be prompted for many years to come out and just kind of be real, I guess. I think many of us, you know, were reluctant when we got home to, you know, talk about our experiences and just kind of want to meld back into society and, you know, get on with our lives. And I was, you know, as I've been doing this program uh, over the last 19 years, I'm coming to really appreciate commissioned officers a whole lot more than I did when I was when I was in the service. Because as a warrant officer, you know, we had no responsibility other than the aircraft. That was it. No mm-hmm. command responsibility. We didn't we didn't set up the flight schedules. We didn't set up for the pilots. We didn't set up the missions. We just followed orders and went out there. And as I get to talk to people like you, Tom, I find out that there are, you know, there's a whole lot of other things going on. And, you know, in addition to, you know, aircraft, the logistics of the whole thing, all the different things that go on out there. So when, when you got to Vietnam, did you go straight into guns? The uh, former gunship uh, leader, uh, I think he... I think he de-roast. I'm not sure somebody you may have been hurt. I'm not sure about that, but they, uh, there was a, a bit of a shortage of commission officers. Uh, flying guns in Vietnam was an experience, uh, uh, because, uh, you had to have a light touch. That thing was dangerous in my opinion of flight. Thinking about it gives me PTSD. Uh, so you flew, so you, flew, you flew Charlie models? Yeah, I flew Charlies all overweight, uh, trying to get 14,000 rounds off the ground and 14 rockets. I mean, I'm going to call that stupid at best. And, uh, with a density altitude of 3,500 plus. And, uh, the point of the story, Dale, is, is, um, we learned to be good pilots. And, uh, if you were a gunship pilot, uh, you were, you were hitting on all cylinders, but I always thought if you were a slick pilot, you're not going to get me to hover above those, uh, 100 foot trees and, and uh, with McGuire rigs pulling those boys. Uh, uh, not me. Um, let me, let me, let me tell you a quick gunship story. I was in it. I was in an LZ. And it seemed like I was down there forever. I don't know what, what was going on, but I can remember visibly seeing the guy shoot at me 
And he was behind a tree about 75 yards away. And I could see the flash of the gun. And I'm trying to make myself small. And for those people who know me, I'm, I'm six two. So it doesn't, you know, doesn't work that way. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, my voice evidently goes up when I was getting shot at. So I'm saying, you know, I'm taking fire 11 o'clock, 75 meters, something like that. And the next thing you know, the tree is gone. The poor guy is gone. Everything is gone. And a gunship pilot comes over the radio and he says, is that better? And, and I, <laughs> I he sounded like a pirate. And I said, yes, thank you very much. And he goes, you're welcome. <laughs> and continued on, you know, and I finally got my, got out of there. But that's that's always been my impression of gunship pilots. They would do anything they they could to protect us while we were doing those silly things of hovering over trees or, you know, underneath, you know, the canopies and dropping people off and picking them up and so on and so forth. We could always depend on our wing guys to be out there. But um, so you so you ended up with the 189th, the Avengers, and. Um, how, how soon before you were flying uh, left seat or aircraft commander? Uh, I think, uh, Dale, I was in country about uh, five months. Uh, I was the platoon leader almost uh, seven and a half months uh, while I was there. I cannot believe I was so young. Uh, and and yet, I think, uh, by the grace of God, uh <clears throat> you were sensible. I mean, you, you were sensible. If you were a pilot, uh, if you were, if you were a human being in Vietnam, you for the most part were sensible and made sensible decisions. And now what happens in combat is you can be a hero if you really want to be. And, uh, I thought when you were flying and, uh, and you, your warning light was uh, uh, beeping, and you thirty-minute warning light. You know you got forty-five minutes back, and uh, you are filled with holes. And uh, hydraulic light is beeping. You say, "Well, I don't think this is going to be good." But we made it back, and uh, I could not believe uh, how many heroes we we met. And then I sort of got it, came out of the woodwork and began to go to the reunions. My wife, I'm giving her the credit. I'm giving my wife credit for a lot of things in sort of my rehabilitation uh, because I had, I have 100% PTSD and through self-pity and a bunch of other things, uh, I uh, had a little dark period, but I'm good now. And uh, I am very much uh, interested in giving back as much as I can, I suppose. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to do that and just to meet men like you, Dale, who really have uh, served uh, the veterans for a long time. It's just unbelievable to me, really. Well, I've, I've only been doing this for, you know, about 20 years. I, I, I did not get involved. And in, this is kind of a local story for those of you out there, is that I was invited to go to our local VVA meeting one time probably back in the early 90s somewhere in that time period and I, I walked into the room this was done by john kinzinger you know he's he's the main recruiter i think and he i looked around the room and they, i said they all look just like me <laughs> and 
next thing I know is that I, I'm hooked. I'm in with these guys. And, you know, I came to appreciate the enlisted man. As I said, the, the regular officers, everything. I came to appreciate everything that everybody did. And I'm going, wow, you know, this, what we accomplished, you know, whether you believe in the politics of the whole thing or not is irrelevant. It's what we did for each other then to keep everybody, as many people as al- alive as we possibly could. And then right now, what we're doing, what you and I are doing is we're just continuing the mission, Tom. We just want to keep every, you know, make sure that our veterans get whatever benefits that they're entitled to. We want to make sure that they're okay, you know, that they've got food, they've got shelter, whatever it is. And it's just, a, you know, everybody gets a calling at some point in their lives. And, you know, this is was mine. And it's, you know, you're getting, you are involved in it as well. It's, it's, it's kind of, um, contagious. Let's put it that way. And it's good contagious, um, that we, we, we find out, you know, we find these men and women that, you know, we never, never even knew that they were veterans. And then we, you know, suddenly we have this little bond that we have, uh, you know, cause we all went through some sort of basic training. We all went through some yeah. sort of advanced training. If, you know, if you were in Vietnam, it didn't make any difference if you were flying gunships in the middle of the Oshaw Valley or wherever it was, um, or you were back in the base, you know, cooking the meals and so forth. You never knew when a rocket was going to come in or a, a mortar or, or a ground attack or any of those things. So, I mean, we all lived with that tension for a year and then suddenly nothing. And I think that's probably one of the um, the things that affected so many of us is we went from that super duper adrenaline high to real life, which does not necessarily have all those adrenaline highs on a regular basis. So t- tell me about, um, you don't have to go into specific, you know, um, events, but what was it really like to, to fly a Charlie model gunship? I mean, these things are, they're, they're ancient. They're, they're, uh, they kind of flap to get off the ground. Kind of, they look like a, I don't know what kind of bird it would be. The, uh, the thing, uh, was so overweight because, uh, we flew a mission that uh, many of us flew missions that required <laughs> as much firepower as possible. And, uh, that would mean a full load of fuel. But I believe that, uh, the part of the helicopter, which we used to call skid shoes, had to be replaced uh, in a matter of uh, two to three days because when you went off, especially if the runway was PCP, which it was at Camp Holloway or whatever surface it was, you basically were skidding down the highway until you reach, excuse me, the runway until you reached lift, (laughs) which was great. Uh, because the density, altitude, the in- density altitude was so high in Central Highlands, of course, you had a hill. I think the, I think the altitude was or possibly almost three thousand at the Central Highlands. I think, I think, and uh, uh, gosh, it, the air was so thin that thing just had a struggle to fly. Now, in a Charlie model, in a, on a good day. 
when it was cool, possibly even raining, uh, you could get that baby going 130 knots in a, in a 50 degree die. That's, that's cool. Uh, but then you have to pull out. That's, that's not so good because it's like going into slow motion. So part of everything, everything is flapping and all the rivets are popping. uh, Okay. So part of the main thing and tactics that we began to teach pilots was how to cover each other on the break. Of course, uh, in our era, we all had the chance to go to Cobra school. Uh, Cobras, uh, they, they were, uh, they they brought a whole new level of firepower, which I thought uh, kind of, in my opinion, turned the war at that point when that kind of firepower became, uh, of course, the North was uh, being bombed and so on. But anyway, uh, flying helicopters, gunships, uh, uh, gosh, that required uh, a skill, which I didn't say I had, but I, I mean, I'm amazed at uh the the finesse uh to to fly those babies and and to keep on trucking yeah i think i i think once um you know once you find that i don't know what it is the certain something when you finally solo or you finally figure out not to wrestle with the aircraft um is it it was the most sensational feeling i've ever had in my life it was a it was a magic carpet ride and i could do anything you know within reason physics and so forth but i could you know i could go sideways i could go backwards i could go i could stop at a well i could because i didn't have all the guns and stuff involved in it but i could stop at a hover at a thousand feet if you know if everything was copacetic um and and then you know you could go as fast as you wanted to. I, I loved it when we had our when we were at our fundraiser and we were talking with uh, General Henderson, who was a Marine pilot, jet pilot, you know, and he was he's talking about you know going six hundred, seven hundred miles an hour, and I'm, you know, my comment to those guys is always, well, how fast can you go backwards? Oh, uh, can you stop? No. And you were talking about that when I was just envisioning, you know, the the gunship, you know, going into one of their dives, you know, and loosing all of their firepower on the bad guys on the ground and trying to pull out of that. That had to be a kind of a, it's almost like bad analogy, you know, deciding when you're, if you're going to go through the red light or if you're going to stop. You know, you kind of, okay, here's where I have to, I have to, if, if the light starts to turn, then I'm going to stop. If it doesn't, I'm going straight through it. And, you know, when do you decide, okay, I got to pull out here. I'm sorry that our audience can't see Tom and I talking because our hands are doing all kinds of maneuvers on Zoom here of, <laughs> of what to do when, you know, you can't well, Dale, they, be a pilot um, and talk without your hands. What you're talking about is they make movies about it, don't they make something called top gun movies about all these things and, uh, uh, making decisions and lights on and, uh, buzzers going off and, uh, going beyond that call of so-called duty. Oh boy. That's, uh, that's really something I'm, 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 uh, just continue to be amazed at the youth, uh, just really the, the level of youth that, is involved in conflict in, in even in the present day. These they're children, children fighting, children. 
it's you think unbelievable, about, really. You think about the uh, responsibility we have. I'm gonna. We need to take a break here, so I'm gonna warn Derek. Um, I'm gonna be. I want to take a quick break, and if you could play uh, uh, one of the VA PSAs and do the uh, little bump music that I sent you after that, okay? All right. So thank you very much. So you are listening to Veterans Radio. We're talking with uh, Captain Tom Stemke, a helicopter pilot in Vietnam with the 189th Assault Helicopter Company. And we will be right back after this real quick message. You know, you don't have to wear your PT gear anymore, right? It's comfortable. So how's civilian life treating you? It's fine. When I got out, I didn't want to admit that there was anything wrong because it felt like a failure. And then I realized, like, there's nothing to be ashamed of. So I started talking to someone. Maybe you are fine. But if you're not, it's okay. Thank you. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. was a song that the uh at least in my company the 195th assault helicopter company's choir would sing many evenings at the local watering hole um johnny cash and ghost riders of the sky i just had to play that <laughs> but but um so we're talking here with with tom stemke and, and um i was wondering if you what type of missions did you go on i, I mean i know you were a support all the time where you was did you go strictly with your own company slicks or did you, you know, were you farmed out to different organizations? We, uh, <clears throat> of the 13 months, uh, I flew, uh, in Southeast Asia deal. I think, uh, uh, seven months were contributed, uh, to missions with, uh, psyops and special forces, uh, it was a totally different uh, mission. Uh, it was the most professional, unbelievable mission that essentially was trying to acquire uh, what was really going on in the war, getting people, uh, just stuff you read in a story book is just so cool. And being ex-Special Forces, uh, and we had clearances. We hung out with these guys that were going in on teams. All of this was pretty darn exciting, I thought, and the most dangerous ever. All which could not have been done without rotary wing support. The real problem with guys who want to be heroes, these special forces guys, is they're not afraid to fight. I'm going to say 9.8 times. Out of 10, uh, if there was an insertion with a team, uh, they're going to get into trouble. And they required uh, helicopters to get them out. Usually at night. Uh, <laughs> at night, he said. Um, I can tell you that uh, I probably, I, I tried to explain to my friends, even my wife, that I was pretty well scared uh, most of the time and when I was flying. I didn't have a death wish, but I really didn't think there was much hope. Not hope, but a chance. I mean, the odds of 
they, they, those guys did not like aircraft. I mean, they'll, those NVA really started to know how to fight, uh, aircraft. They would lay on the backs and ran into an ambush one time where there must have been 50 guys on their back with AK 47s and they really did some damage. Uh, uh, that was the day I, I think I got in trouble. And, um, but anyway, uh, I guess, I guess when we tell these stories, uh, I always think, Dale, that, man, were there a lot of other guys that were involved in the mission, uh, that I might have won a distinguished flying cross. Oh boy, there were a lot of other heroes, uh, who may have not even gotten mentioned. And, um, yeah, I was, uh, the head of a, a, a flight and, uh, laid it out there. And, uh, the, probably the one that gave me the most PTSD, I, I got a silver star for it. Everybody else got distinguished flying crosses and we're shaking our heads to this day, uh, how, how grateful we are really. We're, we're grateful. The, I know all the Vietnam veterans that I hang out with, they're, they're grateful. They're, they're real. They've taken on a humility. They're not trying to prove anything. And, uh, I advocate for all veterans. I'm just, uh, uh, there is no, yeah, there, there, there is no arrogance there at all. No, I, th- I think the people that were arrogant, um, you know, and, and every company had a few though, you mentioned them a little bit earlier on, you know, the ones that wanted to be the heroes, and, you know, they were the ones that would take the chances and sometimes they get away with it. Many times they didn't. And the problem is that when they didn't get away with it, they took other people with them. And that was always one of the issues that would, that affected me over the years was witnessing some incompetence at, at different levels. And, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd see an aircraft you know, go into an, uh, an LZ when you, when you knew that you just, it's not a good place to go. And, you know, they were trying to do the best that they could. And then, you know, one helicopter would get shot down and then two others would get shot down trying to get the one out and the gunship would get shot down because they're out there trying to protect everybody. And it would just kind of snowball. The whole, whole thing would, would, would continue that way. And I, you know, as I'm sure you mentioned or the, you know, that you've, um, gone through is that you see things that you never imagined that you would ever see. I, um, I guess it's okay to tell this kind of story, but I was just getting my, uh, a checkout ride, uh, when I arrived, uh, in 68, uh, in March of 68 and a tet was still on, excuse me, it was late February and, uh, we were, fueling refueling at old doctor strip and uh, a ch47 uh came in and i thought i really didn't know what to think but it looked like a sling load that was very on unru- right on unruly i guess is the word i said what the heck's a guy carrying i mean i'm a kid from sheboygan and uh those sling loads were, uh, they were body bags filled with boys coming in, uh, from Hill 875. If I remember, I, I don't want to say the wrong. I think it's Hill 875, but I'll tell you what, that really, really, really just went into my brain and I could not believe it. 
it was so, so much of a shock. And then I, I realized that uh, combat is not fun. Combat, combat is hell on earth, in my opinion. And uh, it's dark, and I, uh, I, I think it's uh, not a good place to be. But I'm so glad I'm in the U.S. I was in the U.S. Army. I'd never want to be in another uh, country's army. We are, we are citizens and we're patriots and we are yep our yep, we are yes is our yes and our nose our nose that's that's true that's that is that is very true we've got about uh about three minutes to go tom um so where'd you do where'd you go to r and r uh of course i i met my uh honey on uh in hawaii on uh, December 25, uh, uh, December 25 with a Christmas tree stuffed in her suitcase. Uh, <laughs> I don't even remember the Christmas tree, but there it was. And um, it was the most amazing, uh, uh, wonderful visit. And then I took a second one to Australia. And I was sort of lonely at that time. I think I had about two or three weeks left and I had the time off. And um, I was uh, really wanting to get home at that time. <laughs> yes, we all did. And uh, I put in a lot of hours. Uh, we were flying a lot, uh, especially in FOB. I would say as Flyboys, we were putting on uh, uh, five to six to seven hours a day in rotor wing flight. That's a lot of hours or it more. That is. I mean, I think I ended up with 1,200 hours or something like that. And, you know, and then you spent the same amount of time on sitting, waiting for the next, you know, for the next mission. When you were talking about the Christmas tree, just a real quick story. Being October, my wife uh, sent me a care package that had a pumpkin in it. And so we carved the pumpkin, of course. And it this sounds really bad. But the, uh, the Vietnamese, the Hooch girls, they were just scared to death of this thing. Because we carved it out, you know, put a candle in it and lit it up and <laughs> kind of chased them around with it. But, yeah, we got that. We got, you know, if it hadn't been for the women in our lives and our spouses, our moms and everything like that, I don't think it, it would have been possible to survive that. Dale, my mommy uh, sent me a box of prunes when I was in officer candidate school. <laughs> and, of course, you know, our mail was open to the packages. <laughs> I was forced to eat these prunes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I uh, had to wear a roll of toilet paper around my neck. Come on. I mean, <laughs> hello. <laughs> that is not where distinguished flying crosses come from. <laughs> no, it is not. Just It just goes to show that we are human. That's all it was. My mom sent a box of, of brownies to me in flight school, and we got caught, and we had to eat them all at once. And so <laughs> When course, the shower was going, how about that? <laughs> I think we have many more stories to go oh, along boy. here, Tom. I want to thank you so very, very much you, for brother. being on the program today. It's been a pleasure to meet you, and I'm, I want to continue this, these conversations um, at another time where we can, you know, have a cup of coffee or something to go with it. All right? Likewise. Thanks again for your service, Dale. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tom Skempty. Thank you very much to, uh, to Vicki for, for setting us up uh, for the interview. Thank you. On her All behalf, right. he says thank you. <laughs>
<laughs> okay. All right. So another episode of Veterans Radio is coming to an end. We want to thank our sponsors. Of course, that is Legal Help for Veterans, uh, National Veteran Business uh, Development Council, the Ann Arbor VA, Charles S. Kettles VA Health Center. Also want to make sure we thank uh, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles, Chapter 310, and American Legion Post 46, all out of Ann Arbor. Um, we can't do it without their financial support. We can't do it without you as our listening support. And we appreciate everything that you do to help us spread the word and spread the stories. So we're out of here. My name is Dale Thronberry. Until next week, you are dismissed. <laughs>